0: You, you know my brother Brian. Him and I grew up in the south side of Chicago. Blue-collar parents. Dad was a truck driver. Mom was a waitress. And, um, and so one of my early memories growing up was, as a kid, we were going downtown to uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo, which is downtown Chicago. We looked forward to, for uh, to going there for a month. And we're driving... We're getting through traffic, and we're suburban family, and broke, blue collar. We drive all the way down there, and my dad can't find a parking spot in the free area. But there's a spot where you can go to that's three bucks to go in and park right in front of the zoo. And my dad, if you know my dad, you know he'll he'll squeeze some juice out of a penny. Anyway, he gets frustrated, and we go home. We don't go to the zoo that day because he cannot find parking, and he will not pay. Three bucks. Well, a lot of my childhood, I watched things like that where we were denied a lot of things in our life because we didn't have enough money. I watched my parents fight and argue because the, money. the stress about money. And so as a young kid, I always thought, I don't know what I'm going to do later in life, but I've got to make enough money where I'm not going to fight about it. Kind of a Tony Robbins pain avoidance strategy. It's a big motivator in someone's life. So I didn't know what I was wanted to do or be or have later in life, but I knew I needed to have enough money where I wasn't going to fight about it. And, uh, and so that's what got me probably into this position that I'm in today was something that happened to me as a child. And I see a lot of people have stuff that happens to them when they're a child. And you remember that like it was yesterday. And I still do. It affected me. I was a kid looking forward to going to the zoo. and was denied because of $3 parking. Oh, my goodness. And I just think a lot of people can relate to financial struggles as a kid. It's just what you do about it. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it that matters. And uh, a lot of people handle things differently.
1: When I remember being a kid, my dad was in college. My dad went back to college when I was a kid, and I remember this building. We lived right on campus, and there was this building. It was a three-story building, but, you know, as, like, a six-year-old, it was, like, 80 stories. And, and you could get up on the top. I saw a guy on the top one time and asked my dad to take me to the top. And he said, I promise you I'll take you to the top. Well, anyway, he graduated from school, and we never went to the top. And about four years ago, my brother and I, who remembered it too, he's a year and a half younger than me, we rode our motorcycles back to that college, and we found a way to get on the top of that damn building. And it was like, oh, my God, it took us 50 years to get back here.
0: <laughs> but, it was, yeah, those little bitty things.
1: Oh, my God, they're just like, they're like anchors for us, right?
0: Yeah, and it affects the way people think in their whole life. The, their entire life, you ask why people mm. do things they do, why they believe in the things they believe, and it, in many cases, was something that happened to them before they were 10 years old, and mm. they still carry it with them, even if they're 30, 40, 50, 60, and they're maybe at a crossroads or they can't figure out why they can't get ahead. Why can't they go to the next level? Why do they keep sabotaging themselves? And a lot of times it's something that happened.
1: Man, I I love that because I want to explore that. So, hey, everybody, welcome to another
0: episode of Beach Talks. I've got my good
1: friend Jeff Levitan with us today. He's made his living in the financial services industry, and so we're going to explore that a little bit about how that that business works, how they market it, how they make money, how do you grow your business, and so forth. So, uh, Jeff, appreciate you being here with me today. Um, Thank you. You know, um, so let's talk about how your, you know, how how things affect you and stuff that sticks with you. And for me, you know, this last book I wrote is I call it the tapes you play in your head. And I believe, you know, as I as I've had opportunities to hang out with highly successful people, it's almost like it reminds me of. A, it's like you know they tell a kid when he goes from college football to. Pro football, at first it's really fast, and then the game slows down for you a little bit, you know. And so I kind of have noticed that guys and, and, and ladies that are highly successful, it's like it's not a complicated thing that they're saying. It's small things. It's little things. And I keep going back to this friend of mine I went to high school with, and he kept talking about, you know, he kept saying, my stuff always works out. He just That was his saying, my stuff always works out. Another friend of mine that's a multi-millionaire talks about Steve. I'm just the luckiest guy in the world, and he kept. He always says, "I'm the luckiest guy in the world." He believes everything's going to be
0: lucky, or the other guy believes it's all going to work out. So, do you? How do you talk to yourself? That's a great point, and uh, I know on the flip side of that, yeah, which I know it's in your book, but there's a lot of people who struggle because of their negative self-talk. Yeah, huge. You you know, that's the biggest problem, and they constantly they they. Think it's not going to work and then hope that they surprise themselves and it's going to (laughs) work out for them. And uh, I think people have that negative self-talk. I always believed as I – one of my little winning formulas, if you will, is whatever decision I make, i got to make a decision and then I'm going to make it the right decision after I made the decision. Ah, I love that. I don't know if my decisions are any more right than anyone else. Some people, you know, they think they always make the right choices or – Someone always has that friend who supposedly has the golden touch, the Midas touch, and I will tell you, I make decisions all day every day, some of them are light, some of them are heavy, but whatever decision I make, I'm living with it and I'm going to do whatever I You're can you to see it through, kind of. I'm, I'm going to make it I'm going to make it be a good decision after the fact.
1: Now, do you have a little saying you say to yourself? I mean, that's kind of a saying. Do you have any other sayings that you say or You know,
0: not? There's all the self-affirmations. Yeah. And I got a page of them up at home in the, in the mirror. And when I heard about self-affirmations, I thought they were corny. I'll be very honest <laughs> I like think everybody
1: with you. does it first. And it's
0: not just that you write them. It's that you actually are supposed to say them out loud. Yeah. And, you know, in my own head, I could say, you're the best. You're a champion. You know, <laughs> believe in yourself. You're always going to win. But you don't necessarily, you know, say it out loud it in the mirror. You did not have enough depth. To yourself. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, and so I, I do have my self-affirmations, but there's not one I live by. I just, and this is going to sound bad, I, I tell myself no matter what happens, you're going to die someday anyway. So, <laughs> so max out your life, make it, you know, do as much as you can with the time you got left. Go for it. Just it.
1: Well, is that important to you to, to maximize?
0: It the- is. It is. I don't wow. know why, but I'm afraid that I'm going to run out of time. Before I get everything in, then I want to get in.
1: Okay, so do you have those things you want to get in? Do you already know what
0: those things are in your life? I do. I've got a bunch of them. I went to a goal-setting, well, a whole string of goal-setting classes at the beginning of my career. Paid for some of them. Some of them were free. I I read a lot of books on it, and I took all these bits and pieces. And one of them I went to had this thing where you wrote your own eulogy. So you decide what you want said about you at your own funeral. And you write it instead of letting the world decide what your life added up to you decide now and then you spend the rest of your life trying to live up to that being a truthful statement by the time you get there and you know i did that and i put a whole class together called living life on purpose and it starts with it's a workshop a full day workshop but it starts with people writing their eulogy then coming up with their own idea and definition of success in their head and then backwards engineering their life to what they have to do tomorrow, next week, next month to be on track. And that's supposed to be your guide so that you don't get too far off track. And a lot of people go down too many paths in their life. They're a jack of all trades, master of none. But it's not that they didn't have enough time in their life. They just didn't use it properly, in my opinion.
1: So do you ever get to a place where you chill out, or is it always
0: trying to get to the next goal? I do, but I program it in there. It's not just, a, All right, tell I'm me about chilling that. out. That no, cool. like, look, I'm going to take off this amount of time. It's like almost like most people would have planned vacation. Yeah, But it's not a. now I'm chilling out the rest of my life. I tried to retire. I did really well financially, Steve. Um, at, at age 30, um, I retired for the first time. I would become a multimillionaire. I would made a bunch of money, and I thought that was it. When you grow up, blue collar, south side of Chicago, like the movie Rudy, you know, the whole goal is to get away from your job, and you're done. So I had enough money to at the age of 30, and I did. I I retired. I moved to Miami from Chicago, and uh, I was single, no kids, bunch of money, young, and I and I lived it up for a you little get a boat. While. Uh, I had enough friends with boats. I was in the boat market. <laughs> That's the best kind. <laughs> I was in the boat market. I never pulled the trigger because my retirement lasted about 90 days. Oh. <laughs> And then I, you said I, I don't I like was miserable. This. I don't like this. I was miserable.
1: And that's a, and I hear that's a common theme of people that retire too early, right? It's hard to go have fun on Tuesday afternoon when everybody else is working, right?
0: That's it. That's it. Everyone else is working. You don't know who your real friends are. You know, when you got money, it's Who's cool. hanging on? Just yeah. Who's waiting for some crumbs to fall off your table? You know, who's who's real, who's not. And that's it. When you got money You just you got what you finally wanted, money. But then you also find out that it comes with a couple gotchas in there too. So
1: you accomplish the goal, and now you sat back, and then you go, "Okay, I'm not done. I got to keep going."
0: Well, the goal Uh, isn't wealth. Change
1: change a goal. The
0: goal wasn't wealth. It was fulfillment. And wealth doesn't it, it could buy you some temporary happiness, but it doesn't buy you deep fulfillment. And I found out during that period of time that I didn't get my fulfillment from the money or success. I got it from contribution. And I was in the business of helping people with their finances, middle America. And I was in the business of helping people become successful young entrepreneurs. And I got a lot of fulfillment out of those two things. So when I stopped both of those things, because I had enough money for the rest of my life, I thought I'd be happy and done. And I would just pick up hobbies and do that, but I missed that, and that's what drew me back in. It only took 90 days for me to identify it, about another 90 days to re-engage, and then I got back to business. I tried it again a couple more times once I got married, once I had kids. So I tried three times in my life to retire, and now I've decided that's not in the cards for me ever.
1: Well, I love that because I don't think it is either, but have you discovered your life purpose during that?
0: I, I do. I believe I do. So, so what
1: is it? What, what are you here to do?
0: So I'm here to, to look after those who can't look after themselves, which I have an ch- international children's charity called All for One. We're helping the least of us, which are orphans in third world countries or developing countries. They have a low survival rate. These children have a low chance of making it living to adulthood and then much, much less thriving or having success in their life. So I have, what drew me out of retirement at age 30, uh, I went to Nicaragua the first time, and I saw things that I just can't unsee. These kids, they, dirt floors, no electricity, no clean water. And uh, I said, I got to do something about this. But my measly couple million bucks isn't enough. So I built a 501c3 children's charity all for one. And I went back down there and we started building things called child prosperity centers, which is a school, a clinic, an orphanage, all on one property or one campus. And uh, we started building those all over the world or supporting ones that already exist and that's what I've been doing the last 20-some-odd years, not 22 so years. So everything
1: you're doing every day is just to get money to those charities?
0: It's to help save the lives of these kids and give them a chance. Uh, in I'm, the meantime, by the way, I'm not just a bleeding heart. There's a lot of people who think you're either Peace Corps or you're trying to live in a rap video and have a yacht and all this diamonds and gold. I, I think you can have a great life and contribute and give back. So part of me just feels like you can have it all. And so I do, I've got a great house, I've got a great life, I've got nice cars, I've got wealth, I've got children of my own, I adopted some from other countries, I've got special needs kids, two of my boys have autism. So just because you have money doesn't mean you don't have problems and challenges. Got a great wife, and I also spend a lot of time doing philanthropy, and I want to make hundreds of millions more dollars so that I can do all of this stuff and make the most of my
1: life. You had said earlier, though, that you got fulfillment out of helping other people become entrepreneurs and, and that sort of thing. So
0: do you still feel that, that need to do that piece of it? I don't feel the need, but the want. I like doing that still. I still like helping families. I just don't need to do it for a paycheck.
1: What about the families that you try to help, and then it's like they don't really, they want the help, but they really won't? How, how do you do That's it? why I
0: help orphans in third-world countries. They're truly needy. They truly need the help. Yeah. They're you not, don't do they're it. not they spoiled and they're not gonna just be lazy. And you know, so I get I get these offsetting, you know, sides of the spectrum. One is, hey, I'm helping these American folks that are young and trying to become entrepreneurs. Right. And I deal with them sometimes being lazy, sometimes being distracted, sometimes not being disciplined and going for it. They could totally help themselves. They're in the best place in the world they in the United know States of America. <laughs> and if they're complaining and blaming and criticizing and not being successful, then I can go slide on over to Africa and go help a whole bunch of people who are just so appreciative of everything in their life. And they just need a little opportunity. So I get a dose of both, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I guess my, you know, you've, how many people have you hired? How many people have worked for you? How big a how big an organization is
0: that? Yeah, so last year alone, the financial services business recruited a little over forty four thousand new agents in one year. Brand new. The company that no, you, my owned. yeah, my organization. I'm a division of a company that is my wife and I. She's my business partner. We met in the business a long time ago. So I'm a little bit of a crazy person which a lot of young entrepreneurs are or driven people. And they need that right partner to offset them. And I got the right partner. And anyway, um, our business, our financial services business, it's a little bit of a different model. Some people just build a book of business, a book of clients. Well, I have friends that are wealth advisors and their job and their goal is to get 100 million, 200 million under management, make 1% on that, manage that money with as few clients as possible. They're helping the wealthy get wealthier. Nothing's wrong with that. I respect it. And then there's my business, which helps those underserved in the financial industry, which are everyday people, trying to get a couple kids through school, trying to get make it to retirement. Mm-hmm. They, got a, they got a small probably IRA. Have, probably didn't here. have
1: a financial advisor, right?
0: No, couldn't afford one. And maybe that just wasn't the discussion at the kitchen table, finances. So my model of business that I've got is... Um, we're building a book of agents and a book of middle American clients. And uh, we play the volume game. So we're trying to help a lot more people in that middle swath that's underserved versus competing with all the other huge companies for that small, ultra-wealthy group. Right. right. We've done it really well. We've just been very successful. We did about 180. So
1: tell me how you... When you're talking to somebody or you're bringing somebody in, you're recruiting. How do you go? What's the process to say in your mind? I think this guy. I mean, you just give everybody a shot, or do you say, you know what? I've had success with this attitude, this uh, background, or whatever. Like, like I've kind of come to the conclusion. Like in the mortgage business, you either gotta bring them in brand new, don't know a thing about it, and train them, and about one out of ten stick. Are yep. you bring in a guy or girl that's already been doing it, and they're sort of you know in the middle, and they think they're going to do better by coming with you? And the truth of matter is, my experience is they're just kind of where they are because that's just where they're going to be. Or you go get a super producer, and then they want everything, and they actually get you know and they want a higher cut, and it's hard to make money on even though the volumes there. Yeah. So you know, just to me, it's one of those three. If I want to go out and hire, so how do you, you know, like one guy told me, he said, I like hiring, uh, you know, coaches or teachers, you know, those are good people for me, but what, what's, give me some idea on how you look
0: at that. So our model has been in the greenie market. People not in this industry, good people, greenie, greenie, greeny, like they're not, they're, they're not from the financial industry. Okay. They, they just, they're normal everyday people who are kind of pigeonholed into, you're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be this when you grow up. And they take whatever career path either their student counselor in school sent them on or their parents sent them on. And maybe they're not happy. What we recruit to is what you're not happy with in your life right now. Uh, Okay. So, hey, Steve, are you getting paid what you're worth doing what you're doing here? They paying you what you're worth? You get to work with who you want, when you want. You make your own hours. I'm sure you're home. Every holiday and even the iffy holidays, right. St. Paddy's Day, you get to go just hang out all day, take the day off. You know, I just I push those buttons with somebody because most people either feel like they're not getting paid what they're worth, that there's not an opportunity for advancement, or their schedule isn't theirs to manage. And most people have been taught to sacrifice one or all of those and just be thankful you got a job. Right. And so that's, we're that's saying that. Hey, that's middle America thought. That's the middle America mentality. Right. And we just give them a shot at making those decisions themselves. And so when I'm when we're talking to people, when I say we, by the way, the forty four thousand new people, they were brought in by about fifteen thousand. So maybe each one, each one got three for the whole year. So even though it sounds like a super recruiting machine, I've got an agency that has about fifteen thousand people in it. So each one of them added a few new players to their agency this last year, and it adds up. How many drop
1: out out of that size organization?
0: A lot. A big percentage of them. But here's the good news. They don't drop out with a bad taste in their mouth because most of them kept their job and gave it a shot part-time. And it either worked or didn't. And it worked or it didn't. What
1: percentage of that works? Because, I mean, is it like my green thing? I mean, my my stuff is about... 10 or 20% have a chance yeah. of sticking and about 80% don't.
0: Probably the same if, as everyone if nothing else. nothing
1: else, you hope that by them being with you, you were able to help them in some way or educate them in some way or give them some mojo that they
0: maybe didn't have, make their life better. I mean, that's the way I look at it. That's it. We've had a lot of people leave and say, you know what? It didn't work out for me. Selling financial services wasn't for me. But here's what I learned. I learned to read all these books. I got into personal development. I got my financial house in order. I learned a few tax strategies or some it's like things they went about to my Dave Ramsey class or something. It's like they went to a <laughs> class, and for some people, it lasts a week, and for some people, it lasts six months. But is there they a certain
1: profile that you found that you like? Oh man, that 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 kind of profile really works. Well,
0: well, I think just number one, people that are entrepreneurs. If someone's looking for a paycheck every two weeks, they're conditioned too much. If someone can't go a little while and realize you got to. You know, eat which kill. Um, and they've never done that before. Most, some people aren't cut out for that. Right. Frankly. right. That's why we let people keep their jobs so they, they can steal second and still have their foot on first. If this works out great, you make a whole bunch more money. And if it doesn't, you still got the other thing going. So evenings and weekends and things like that for people. But some people are not that ambitious. They right. don't want their evenings and weekends are for watching sports. But do they think they're up. ambitious? Everybody thinks they're ambitious. Yeah,
1: that's the key, isn't it? Is they come in and, yeah, "Yeah, I can do this. And then they find out. Some of them find out. I just don't. I like to tell people, if you're not willing to get, if you're not willing to stand out in the street butt naked and say, I need a mortgage,
0: then you're probably not hungry enough. That's very hungry. (laughs) But a lot of people hear about my charity and they say, man, I want to help. And then you ask for either time or money and they're nowhere to be found. Like you're moving on the weekend, right? (laughs) Oh, you're moving. Call me up. And then you call them up and, oh, was that this weekend? You know, when you ask someone to do something and you challenge them to actually take that next step or make a commitment, most people aren't really ready for it. So, yeah, everyone thinks they're ambitious. Everybody says they want more. But then it really comes down to are they willing to sacrifice, are they willing to pay a price? So
1: you try to find somebody that's got an entrepreneurial mindset, and how do you know that? A good ha-
0: work ethic, they've got integrity, and a good warm market, meaning their relationships that they have in the past are strong. They matter. They, they, that tells a lot about someone's character. You know, there's a, a how, book, how give or take, that? out there. How would well, you know they got good? Relationships? You ask them to introduce you to three or four of their friends, five five of their friends. Hey, let's do a Zoom call. Let's get five, ten of your buddies on a call and tell them what you're up to. And then the call comes and one person's on and it's their mom. You know, that tells you all you need to know right there. I mean, some people just, they you could tell who's a giver and who's a taker in life pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. You know? And I asked you once, you don't even remember this, not long ago, I asked you, hey, you I, you know a lot of people. And I said, I had a, I had a lunch with so-and-so recently they want to do business with me. What do you think? Do you know who they are? And you go, I do, and they're a taker. That's all you said about them. I haven't called them back since. <laughs> you don't even know you were dropping those oh. pearls of wisdom and giving those nuggets. It's nothing I hate worse than a taker. But they're, but they're out there. And, you know, you just, you find a giver, though. You find people that are out there helping everybody. They're the people you want here. To, or in whatever business you're in. I mean, people are watching. They're they're not necessarily in mortgages or financial services. They own a company or a business, but you get someone in your door that's been a giver, and uh, there's something called the giver's gain. Yeah. And those people are always on the up and up. Blessings are always coming their way because they've done good things for other people.
1: All right. You believe in that?
0: I do. Yeah, I do too. So what
1: about marketing that business? Because I'm always interested in how other people market their business because there might be a nugget in there for me. So how do you market the financial services business? Yeah. You you got a guy and he comes to work for you? And I think, by the
0: way, I think nowadays the game's changing. Uh, Social media, the fact we're on a podcast today, you know, this is old talk radio, you know, modernized right Right. now. This is Uh,
1: like Sunday morning talk radio. They're trying (laughs) to fill the space.
0: Well, I will tell you, though, depending on what you're marketing, it's going to be marketed very much differently. If you're selling a product, uh, um, a gadget, a tool, something, that's going to be marketed different than a service. Mm -hmm. So first, do you have a product or do you have a service? Then is the service something you can get everywhere or something that requires a little bit of specialty? Mm -hmm. But even with that, if you're in a service business and it's something that is a specialized service, Then it comes down to someone you know and trust. And so that's where relationships come in and relationship leveraging. So I'll tell you one of our marketing strategies, um, it's it's strategic partnerships. So, and I would tell you, you're a mortgage guy. And so I'm a financial planner guy, if you will. So we probably have something in common. I've got a, a people's biggest asset is normally their home. So when I do someone's financial plan, their mortgage is a big deal. Their home is a big deal. If they're buying or selling a home, something's going on in their life. They just got a job, a promotion, came in a money, got a divorce, just lost some money. They need help. So there's a mortgage need in there. Mortgage guys, as they're doing someone's mortgages and getting their finances, they're gathering all the information we need to gather. And if they're buying or selling a house, it's because of something going on and they need a financial planner. So I'd go to guys like you, Build and partner. a and partner up, and now here's the key. It's called revenue share. A lot of people say we should ought to partner up because it'll help. But with all partnerships, there's a there's a a dilemma and a challenge inside of it, which is you and I are partners. I send you ten deals and you send me one. It's not really equitable. <laughs> and some some partnerships are worse than that. Same thing in partnerships in business where, hey, we both want to go start a business and you do. We start out 50-50, but eventually I'm a little lazier than you and you do 80% of the work, I do 20%. We got a problem. Now we need to renegotiate our partnership, buy each other out, get in an argument, whatever. This happens in everything. It happens in marriages. It happens everywhere in life. To keep it clean and fair, I'm going to come to you and say, hey, if you pick up a couple licenses, everything you sell me, by the way, it's a C minus on a multiple choice quiz. I know you're smart enough to pass it. Everything you send me, we'll split it with you on paper, 50-50, the upfront money and the residual. And you might think, no, you just keep yours, I'll keep mine. You don't know how much you're giving away. And it's, and it's a lot of money. So I want to do a revenue share with my strategic partner. And there's no upcharge to the customer. That's the key. Because there's two people sharing it, we don't have to overcharge well, customers. that's
1: the model you have.
0: That's right. the model. We'll just take a little bit less. There's plenty of money still to go around and we'll service more businesses and clients and play the volume game. So mortgage brokers, realtors, um, CPAs and accountants, tax preparers, kind of in a relational business there that fits. So building... You go If I go to a, someone who has an accounting practice with 500 clients, I partner with them, get someone in their office licensed so we can split the deals, that's 500 referrals I have. Whether I get all of them or let's say I get 10% of them. Yeah, I
1: might. can't get a
0: warmer referral than their accountant saying, you ought to talk to this guy. And so if we get 10%, there's 50 pieces of business. That's a lot of money for that CPA. Yeah, Depending on average, it could be 25 Thousand to a hundred thousand dollars for the referrals,
1: and then in, in your world is that on, ongoing referral? I mean, is that roll over every year? Some does, like and insurance some
0: does. Some does. Some has residual, and some's a one-time. Some's a
1: one-time. Yeah. All right, that's great. All right, give me another marketing idea. <laughs> What's another thing you'd teach somebody to do?
0: Well, so the strategic partnerships is one way to do it, and I would tell you there's a lot of old-fashioned ways that probably work fine in some people's businesses. Ours is the, the way we market is through new business partners that start with us, even part-time. So I think what makes us really special is that we give people a chance to work in this industry part-time. But I will tell you, no one wants a part-time financial planner any more than they want a part-time pilot or a part-time heart surgeon. So here's how we get around that and make it successful for everyone. The part-time person is the referral person. They're handing it off to a full-time expert in the field that that's all they do.
1: So you got somebody at your shop that's full-time. You've got a new person that's working at part-time, and the part-time brings the full-time guy in there with them. That's
0: right, or brings the client to the expert. Expert. And that's fine. And there's plenty of money, once again, to split up between the part-time person and the full-time person. The traditional industry says everyone has to be an expert. So you'll have small offices full of experts, but there's no one out fishing. There's no one out farming. They don't have all these, the spider web out there in the marketplace and all these fingers, and all these people that that uh, that are all 100% commissioned, by okay, the way. Okay, but that new
1: guy, he's part-time. He's been driving a UPS truck. He's pumped. He's got his license. What are you telling him how does he go talk to his friend, his yeah. neighbor,
0: his mom? How does First he... thing we tell him is don't try to be an expert. Your friends know you're a UPS driver. <laughs> don't don't go in one day to your cousin say, hey, and say, I'm now farmer. I'm a financial planner. No, you're not. You're wearing a brown outfit. You're <laughs> still a UPS driver. That we, we teach them literally four words. I know a guy <laughs> or I know a gal that you need to talk to because they're going to help you pay less in taxes legally. I know a guy who's going to help you stop losing money in this down market. I know a guy who's going to help you save a bunch of money on your mortgage. Uh-huh. You need to take a call from my friend, Steve. So they are the do, trust. Would you want to do it They're in the person trust or by phone call? Either way. Person's always better. I mean, nowadays it's in person means live or Zoom. You could get on a, a video call, FaceTime, Zoom, something like that. It's the same. It's an in-person meeting. You know, so it could be a phone call or that. Hmm. And if uh, you're as attractive as you, it should be in person. It's a piece of cake. Some people might. Uh, You got hair. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. So what about um, managing people? Do you have a lot of people that you, that are like management kind of people that you manage?
0: I'm a horrible manager, Steve. I'm a great leader. I set the pace. I set the standard. I set the expectations I tell people to follow me and and hope they keep up. <laughs> um, help them with their personal goals. I don't give them my goals. I help them identify theirs and then show, help them come up with a path to get there. Whether it's breaking down the numbers, whether it's just a lot of encouragement, I help you get to your dreams and goals. So, but uh, as far as micromanaging you or managing you, I'm not really that good of a manager. I'm right. kind of expecting... That if you said you want this, you need an extra five grand a month or two grand a month, or you want to get out of this job. And in order to do so, you need to make 7000 a month here. I believe, I'm going to believe you're going to do the work necessary after we go through the plan.
1: But you got certain things about your business that you not, you're you not doing, right? Like somebody's yeah. taking care of the layers books of leadership. And, yeah. But are, are, but are those, are you, Managing those people, or do you? How are you deciding who you're going to put in certain places to manage certain things for you? Maybe that's a better way.
0: Yeah, I think you just got to match somebody's real skill set to a superpower to, the, to the need to that, the need that you have. First, you you'll you'll know your need first, right? But sometimes you meet someone and they got some skills, and you don't know where on the team you want them, but you want them on the team. So that's okay. a different relationship than also saying. I need someone to do my bookkeeping. I need somebody to follow up on these calls. I need someone to do this paperwork or someone who's very technical. I got a guy who was a nuclear engineer, and he was doing my business part time because he was the he's a nuclear engine. He's a manager of other nuclear engineers, and he was the head of the investment club at the nuclear engineering firm. Smartest guy I've ever met in my life, but you know as far as the people skills go, maybe not, not as best not, not maybe his greatest skill. So he became the go-to expert on the products in one of my offices. Uh, okay. If you have a question about anything, go he's, to this guy, or if you meet somebody out there who's hyper technical, send it to this guy. Cause the technical person can handle the technical person. The structured person is good with the structured person, the relational person, now is that well. important? It is. For people to match up like that? I think it's very important. Yeah, they It's that that's Tim. general relational. It's it's, it's it's you know, it's sort of a mirror process. Yeah. But really people like to do business with people that they feel like they're like in certain industries, right? I don't need my brain surgeon if I had one to be the have the biggest personality. I want them to be good at what they're good at. Right. But I think when it comes to a service, if I like the guy, most people do business with someone they like first.
1: Now, do you change, if you're with a guy that doesn't have the same personality, say you're with an engineer guy, like me, I'm with an engineer guy, and I'm more lovey kissy, you know, if you shake my hand, we're, you know, we're going to be all right, right, but this, so I got this engineer guy, and he wants the facts and figures, which to me is like having a root canal, right, do you
0: change to be like that person? The best I, mean, I can you, until I can't. So can, here's okay. the answer. That's a great. That's a
1: great. Amount. I saw this movie. Really? Uh,
0: I saw a long time ago. It's called Divergent, where people get put into these different categories. Right. And there's a whole bunch of programs like this in the world. There's the PCM and the Star Theory, or whatever. there's all these different ways of of personality profiling. Most people out there have been through something like that in some point of their life. Right. And it's good and bad. It's good. I think it's good to be able to profile someone and know what approach to take, but it's also bad if you go beyond that and you put them in a box mm-hmm. and don't let them change and get out of the box. Because people are growing and changing all the time. Right. But if I do meet you and you're a little more huggy and feely and I'm not, I'm gonna I'll give you a hug. I'll bring it in. Bring it on in, Steve. <laughs> and if you're more technical and standoffish, well then I'll be more detail oriented and get into the Detail I, I try to be
1: a chameleon for what's in front of me the best I can.
0: I do the best I can. I am who I am. My customers are who they are. I do my best, but if somebody is extreme on one end, I will match them up with somebody who's a lot more like them and get the deal done and take a split. But
1: do you have a problem with that handoff? I know I do in my business. Somebody they they're calling me, somebody referred them to me. They're an engineer, and maybe I got somebody else in my office, and I feel like I lose when I do that. I guess the way to do that is to stay into the game with it. You just tag tag
0: team it, stay in. Don't tag out and leave. That's key. Just stay. I'd say you're not pushing them off. You're bringing bringing someone else somebody else in, And you just stay there for the relationship part. Yeah, yeah. And then get out of the way, too. You know, I bring in that real technical guy, and then I don't want to talk over him. Doesn't have to be about me. I let them just do their the thing. thing. I, I, like this. I just stay in the conversation and be part of it. That I, happens at law offices. I don't know if you've uh, brought an attorney who needs to bring in another attorney. The problem is they keep adding on each other's hours and charges. Oh my god! Uh, crazy. You end up spending paying for three people at once.
1: All right. So what? What do people that know you best? What? Are, what's the buzz they say about you? How do they talk about you? What do they say? Band.
0: Other. You probably heard this before, but other people's opinions of me are none of my business. That's the best way to stay happy. By the way, when you worry about what everyone thinks about you, you're going to be worrying all the time. That's especially now, social media these days. The happiest people in the world don't give a you know what about what everyone thinks about them. Now, having said that, I love people. I, I love getting to know them. I feel like they you're feel like people person. They're, they feel like they're my friend, even if I met them for just a little bit. Right. And it's hard for me to meet a stranger. I know you're that way too. I think that's why we hit, hit it, it off, off immediately. Yeah. You, always, yeah. But but then again, everyone hits it off with you or vice versa. They right. feel like it. And it's the same with me too. I'm a relationship guy. I believe in long-term friendships and relationships. And so when I meet you, some people just use people. They're just going through them like numbers. And if they don't think they got a use for them, they're out the door. I'm When I meet you, some people think they only have a certain limit of number of friends a certain limit on the number of people in their life i I don't think that at all i think that you can have tens of thousands of friends out there
1: i do too
0: and it's like love you know the more you give the more you receive you never can deplete it why do people not understand that so don't don't hoard it spread it out i mean just just Love on people and care about people, and you're not going to run out. The more of it you give, the more of it you receive. You'll always be full, and that's that's how I feel about that. So, I, if you ask somebody about me, man, I, I I hope they say something good. Like he's a great guy. Really like him. He's got a good heart. He cares about people. You know, that's
1: good. That's what I think. What I think that's like. what you'd hear. That's or what you, you might, you say might hear. He's
0: really driven, and you know, <laughs> super busy and really driven, but. All right. Tell me about relationships.
1: What's what's the secret to building strong, deep relationships?
0: I think it's I think it's there's a book and, and it's about a it's an old marriage or or relational book called Men Are From Mars, Women yeah. Are From Venus. Yeah. So the premise of that book, Doctor John Gray, I think he said the whole premise of the book is there's these two people on a different a Martian and a Venetian. Right. There's a guy on one planet, he looks through a telescope and sees this other being. They're very different, but they're super intrigued by their differences. Then they get together, things are great, but then quickly they try to change each other to be more like they are. And that's where the problems begin. And at the end of the book, it summates it, love love each other's differences. Remember that that's what attracted you in the first place, and we're all different people. And I think people nowadays, are, are they like to... Group together with people who think like they think believe like they believe and they just stay in their little pod Mm -hmm. and it doesn't give you you can add to that pod but you're missing out on the point to me the spice of life i like to go to different restaurants i'm i'm a little bit of a foodie one day i like thai food the next day i might want some mexican food the next day i might want a burger the next day you know and so but the intrigue in that is that is that differences are good and I think in relationships, differences are good. I think the, the fact that getting to know somebody and, and getting to figure out what makes them tick and being interested instead of just being interesting, a lot of people, they want to be interesting. That comes from a lack of security. Insecure people need to be the center of attention, need to be interesting. Secure people are fine being interested in somebody else. So if you could just be interested in everyone, ask a lot of questions, get to know about them. So tell me about that. So how do you use
1: questions to go deeper with somebody?
0: Well, what do you do? There's two types of questioning. One's lateral, which sounds like you're, you know, maybe investigating somebody. <laughs> Steve, where are you from? Are you married? Are you married? <laughs> how many kids do you have? Where money? did you go yeah. to school? <laughs> you know, they're just asking these Right. But if you take the questions that are lateral and you go deep, hey, Steve, are you married? Are you a married man? And you say, yes, I am. I go, well, how long have you been married? How'd you happen to meet your sweetheart? Did you guys have kids? This and that. And I'm going deep in the questions. I'm getting to know you a lot more. That's critical, isn't it? So I would say in asking someone's questions, you go deep with the questions instead of wide. And I think that makes all the difference. I call it going down the veins,
1: you know, and it's like yeah. you're, like you're going across and you get a question, just go, you just take that vein as far as you can take it. And then you ask them another question. And you take that vein as far as you can take, take it. And, and, but here's my experience. So when you do that with somebody, you meet somebody I and mean, you and I are like that, we just are curious, I call it curious, right? Like yeah. a 10 year old, we want to know and we're asking them and we're good about going deeper in these questions What I found is about 75% of the time, they'll turn around and ask me
0: questions. Yeah. Have you found that to be true? I've found a lot of things to happen. (laughs) I've talked to someone for an hour, and they don't even know my name at the end because they don't even think to ask any (laughs) questions back. Wherever they are in their life, you know. (laughs) But here's what I also know. When someone does open up and you're asking these questions, they feel closer to you. If I ask you all these questions and you pour out and open up your heart and you feel safe enough and comfortable enough to share that with me you feel very close to me at the end of it and i feel like i know and you and then that starts the and there's deepness a friendship. of a
1: of a relationship that's a right?
0: real relationship now, how right do
1: then? you keep that relationship going from a business standpoint like for me i spend a lot of time calling the people that i know just to touch base with them
0: here's what i know what about do y'all you do? let me can i compliment you yeah you put people together with each other, even if there's no benefit for yourself. You just, yeah. because you get to know people, you know what they want, you know what they need. Someone told me the other day, I, I don't, I forgot who it was. They're like, hey, Jeff, if you happen to know anybody who's got rooms available, Beecham always knows someone who needs a place to stay <laughs> temporarily. They're buying or selling a house or building a house. He just, and I'm like, what does he have to do with that? He, isn't he in the mortgage business? Like, what does he? See, brokering, you know, rooms? Uh, And you're not. You're just always trying to solve problems for people. So one
1: of my things that I say to myself all the time is when I go somewhere with somebody, I want to be Santa Claus for that
0: person today. You know, and you know, I wish more people thought that way. It really is.
1: Because like we talked earlier, I know that if I give, that the more I can give, the more I'm going to receive. And the person I'm giving to is... Ninety-nine percent of the time, not the person I'm receiving from. We used to say, and when I first got in the mortgage business, they would say, if you do certain things, the mortgage gods will smile on you. You know, and it's like the gift God smiles on me. That's the way I see it in my mind. I'm going to give as much as I can because I know the more I give, the
0: more I'm going to receive. But you said it right. It might not be from that person. You receive it. You just have to have the faith. It's going to come in from somewhere else. Same thing with investments. I've been in the investment business. You don't have to make your money back the same place you lost it. Explain that to
1: me. That's pretty good.
0: Well, some people stay into a bad investment and they throw good money uh, after bad because they want to make it back there. Yeah. They might need to make it back over here or over in Cut this. Cut their losses
1: and go yeah. somewhere. On
0: this house deal, maybe someone flopped and they lost money, but they don't have to make the money on back on that deal. They can make it. Three deals later, somewhere else. Dave,
1: that's 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 great for me right there. Yeah. I can use that. That's good. Because we run into that a lot.
0: So my ment one of my mentors, his name's Greg Cap, he said, Jeff, make a friend and solve a problem. I can't make it any easier than that. Just make a friend and solve a problem. The bigger the problem it is you solve for that person, the
1: bigger the wow.
0: Probably the more money you're gonna make and the more difference you certainly have made. So now I'm in this mode of I meet somebody, and some here's the problem. I think I would tell you with most salespeople, when they meet someone, what's going on? Their little story in their mind. How can I sell this person? Right. What can I sell? The, when's the right time to pop the question? What angle am I taking? You can see it in their eyes. Right. You're right. talking to someone, and you can see yeah. their their eyes are twitching, and they're they're thinking about how to how to come at you, and they're waiting for their moment. When if you just go into everything going. I'm going to make a friend first. No matter what, I'm leaving and we're going to be friends. Right. Secondly, if there's a way I can solve some problem for this person with my resources or my resourcefulness, I'm going to solve a problem. I'm going to make a friend and solve a problem. And then thirdly, hey, if what I'm offering or, or something that I have over here to sell or my company or my is one of the solutions to one of your problems, well, then I might bring it up. But that's third. Most people, right. it's first. Right, right. And it's, so it's critical, right? I think it's only everything. Critical for the relationship
1: and the trust, which are the two main things I think we're after in our types of business, right? That's right. They got to trust you first in order to build a relationship. But what's the follow up system for, for your people?
0: Well, you know, I sell
1: somebody an insurance policy, I sell them a life insurance policy. Do I just wait on that renewal of that policy to come up, or is there a follow-up system? No, it's not even really renewal.
0: Most people pay monthly, automatic withdrawal from checking. So it's really how do you look at that person? Were they just a customer of yours, or is it someone that is also a friend that you check on from time to time?
1: Do you teach any kind of way of doing it? Yeah,
0: sure. We have all the training for asking for referrals and Servicing your clients and calling them up on a regular but basis. Is
1: there I'm guess what I'm getting at? Is there a newsletter that they go out with? Is there a social media posts that they do? Or is there blogs? I mean, what are
0: you I, I there's all of the above, mm-hmm. but everybody's different. If I buy a mortgage from you, some people they don't want to hear from you right. every every month or every quarter. They gonna hey, hear from me every week. I know <laughs> they probably will, but you know, some people will call you if I need you. And other people, I would ask them, though, we teach people, ask them, how often do you want to hear from me? And if you had a friendship, that's a different story. Right. But if you're doing high volume, you can't do that with everybody. So, hey, just one of the notes, how often would you like to hear from me? And they might say twice a year, once a year. I wouldn't leave it totally up to them. Never. They Don't, don't put never as one of the choices. Right. You know, right. once a year, twice a year, quarterly, monthly, how often do you want to hear from me? And then... Then a market accordingly, but um, everyone's a little bit different when it comes to that. So you got multiple offices, seven hundred
1: offices,
0: physical location. Although with COVID, a lot of people shifted virtual. So my average office would have fifty to one hundred people in it, and, and office you know, there's part big offices. I mean, where would they all be?
1: different? Everything's different
0: in most of the fifty states. There's somebody there kind of in charge of that office? Absolutely. Someone leads the office, runs the office. It's their office. They're on the lease. They're the local leader running it. But because in some degree I may have recruited, trained, or developed that person, um, I get a little percentage of the success of that office. And for that, I provide whatever leadership I can to help support and grow that location. But the person who's there, they have ownership in that location. That's theirs
1: how do you divide your time among 700 offices
0: well there is some truth to the squeaky wheel gets the grease (laughs) so that's one of the things then there's also the highest performers so some people when they have a big organization or a big company they're either constantly working on fixing the problems they're either killing weeds or growing grass you've heard that before and i would tell you you have to have the right blend of both of those things the areas that are super profitable and doing well. You also need to focus on your strengths and grow those mm-hmm. and then put out fires when necessary. Some people are constantly killing weeds. That's all they do all day. They're a firefighter. They're putting out fires yeah. all day. And then there's other people who focus on their strength and grow that part and just realize that some of the some of the areas are always gonna struggle.
1: So do you keep a daily Task pad or whatever, what you're going to do today, tomorrow, next week? How do you manage your time?
0: I do. I'm very strict on my schedule. Time, time isn't money. Everyone's heard time is money. Yeah. I believe time is life. Yeah. And when you waste time, you're wasting life. Yeah. And I'm very serious about. You this are part. very serious. You know I am. That. I'm I'm a happy-go-lucky guy who's very intense. Right. And I'm intense with my time because I know I only have a finite amount of it here.
1: It's interesting that that's so such a big deal to you about the
0: finite amount of time. I just want to get as much. I just don't want to waste time. Here's what I believe. How do you look across America, which you might say is a level playing field? Maybe you don't think it is. But we are in these United States of America, with all of their problems, people are still dying to get to this country. Why? Because the opportunity is so great here compared to everywhere else. There's no arguing there. So how can... And this happens in the same family sometimes. It could be brothers, sisters, cousins. It could be people from the same school, the same education. But you you watch the life of people, and in the same 24 hours a day, the same seven days a week, one brother makes millions and millions of dollars, and the other one barely gets by. And a lot of it has to do with the way they think and what they do with their time. And some people in their whole entire life if you look back and see what they did, they're going to live and die, and there might be literally no mention of them in, his, in the future, in the past. There's maybe even no recognition that they were ever here. That's what that, that little line is in between when you died. And That's right, when the you and when you died. That Their dash was really a dash. Man, no one even knows. And, um, and then some people make a big impact and make a big splash, and where you make a splash is not how much money you make. It's the difference you made in the lives of others because that gets passed on and paid forward and passed on and paid forward. So if you're trying to play that game, it's what game are you playing in your life? Some people are just enjoying their life and enjoying the world, and there's nothing wrong with that. Let me be very clear. There's nothing wrong That's with that. That's just not the way you're made, And I'm not. So you, you either are here to enjoy the wor- world or make it better, one of the two. I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can along the way, right? And I'm right. constantly trying to make it a better place and get the most out of it. So your daily calendar, though, I mean, do you do you... My, my my appointments? Yeah, how do you my appointment do you... only? I'm I'm not a I'm not a got a lot of open time type guy. I squeeze as much into the, to my day as possible. You like I've to never had a, fast I haven't had meetings. A, I have not had a day of insomnia ever. <laughs> I, my, I'm asleep before my head hits the pillow almost every night. So, and when I wake up in the morning, it's not, it's not a slow groggy getting out of bed. I, I got so much that I want to do that I want to accomplish. I, I, I jump out of bed and get going every day. I'm Can not you, a 5am guy. Okay, by the So way.
1: you're wired that way, but were you always wired that way?
0: I think when I realized I could have, do or be anything I want in my life. I really believe that I can accomplish almost anything that's motivating. Like now I'm like, all right, what do I want?
1: What so? Ten- how much of that? I mean, so you, so when you come to that realization, like for
0: me, I was 25. Years well, but old.
1: I, I heard somebody say, you know, the information's already out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to spend the time to, to educate yourself. Right. And that's when I started diving into books and going to seminars and, 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 you know, and then you just go. Because a lot of the same stuff we're talking about, a lot of these same ways that we think. Is, because a lot of us, we've read some of the same books. And so are a lot you of You know what the people.
0: differentiator is, though? What? It, it's the belief. You read the books on how to be successful. You, you read the believe. books on how to do it. But then you got to believe that it's within your power to do it. Ah, that's big. And, and that's the di- that's I've got friends, they've been to every Tony Robbins seminar, every Ed Milet thing. They go to all this stuff. They read all the books and they're still broke. They're still struggling. They're still lost. They're still wow. insecure. So they've been to all the places, but they don't have the belief. The horse didn't drink the water. And I, and I just think if you believe in yourself and you believe that you can accomplish these things, you, your belief is a direct reflection on the amount of action you're going to take to go make it happen.
1: So how do you get people to believe more?
0: I think little wins. It doesn't have to start with a huge one. You have to help somebody. So you've got, you've got a son. I just saw him outside, right? right. I've, got, I've got a bunch of kids.
1: Yeah, you got and more than i got.
0: <laughs> and so if you've ever taught a kid how to fish, okay, and some people don't even fish out there, but if you teach a kid how to fish, the best way to do it is you're with them, And you get a fish on the line without them knowing. Then you hand them the pole and go, you use my pole for a while. I'll use yours. And then they start reeling and they say, oh, I got one. Maybe they're four or five years old. I got one, Dad. I got one. And they're reeling that fish in. And doggone it, they think they caught that fish. And they did kind of. You hooked it, but they brought it in. And you're like, congratulations. You're a great fisherman. And you help them have a little win. And you might do it a couple more times. Right. And then you help them along their and way. And their
1: belief system starts to change.
0: They believe, my kids all believe they are professional fishermen. <laughs> Some of them have them fish since they were kids. They're like, oh, I got that. That's no fun. I always have one on my line. So I don't know. There's probably an extreme level where it's not good for them. But at the beginning, there's nothing like confidence. Not cockiness, but self-assured confidence. So many people right now are battling with low self esteem. Well, how do lack you do that belief? with
1: these kids in Africa? How do you give them the belief and get their self esteem?
0: Well, you got to first tell them stories and then you show them a little proof. I've like, got, well, I've got two two boys here that live with me now. David, who we adopted from Sierra Leone when he was four, he was an orphan. His parents died of Ebola. He lives with us, he's 10. He's living the dream and then i just had another one of my i call him my son i didn't adopt this one but he was one of the first orphans in my first orphanage back in 05 20 you know about 17 years ago he was 6 7 years old and i just got him to america a month ago on a student visa and he's here but he came from an orphanage with 90 kids in it and now we're we're whatsapping and and zooming back and they're seeing him in america talk about believing an increase in their belief. So it's telling stories and it's showing them. He's able to tell them. He's able to tell them, look, it's possible. You can get to America. Just like somebody in a family that has never graduated anybody from college. That first one that graduates, that can increase the belief of everybody else in the family. Mm, That's true. And so it's just with anything. The four-minute mile story. It's the four-minute mile story. Someone closes how many loans in a month and you're, during the time when rates are high, and now it's all of a sudden possible. Mm -hmm. Hey, so-and-so did it. Mm -hmm. Here's a picture of them. Here's the proof they did it. You could do it too. And nothing changed with the four-minute mile except the belief a human being can run a mile in four minutes or less.
1: So is that exciting to you to try to figure out how to change people's belief systems?
0: I love it. Because when someone's belief level changes, the whole rest of their life changes. So that's That's huge. So why do I get joy out of improving someone's life? I don't know. I just think it's one of the only things that lasts. I know a lot of people that had a lot of money and then lost a lot of money. So if your mark on the world is that you made a lot of money, it's all going to be gone someday or in someone else's hands, Mm. whatever the case might be. Um, Knowledge, just keeping it. You have all that knowledge. You're the smartest person in the world. Someday it dies with you. If you didn't put it in a book or teach it to a bunch of people... What good does it do if you don't yeah. pass it on? So I heard,
1: heard somebody say, I well, might have been a pastor, somebody said, you know, what doesn't get done if you don't do it? That's that's kind of your purpose. I love it. And that's that's I think that's good.
0: And a lot of pastors, what are they trying to do? Save souls, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make a difference in as many people's lives as well, I we're can. We're doing the same thing. Yeah. It's just you're trying to help people have a greater life. And I get joy and fulfillment out of doing that for people. That's where my fulfillment comes from. It's making that kind of a difference. I get more fulfillment out of giving than receiving. And unless you've given a lot, most people don't even know. I didn't know that existed, by the way, until I started becoming a giver. I can't say I was always a giver. When you don't have a lot, you're trying to get. I grew up broke, south side of Chicago, trying to get. So I spent all my life getting.
1: So what's the big lesson on giving? What are you learning? What have, what have you learned?
0: You get a lot more fulfillment and happiness. It feels actually better to give. to give than it does to get. But until you can get to the point where you're able to give and try it, you'll never know that that's the truth. You know, one of the things
1: I t- I say all the time, like I'll be at somewhere, <laughs> somebody's dinner and I'll go, like, I'm going to buy you dinner. No, no, no. You didn't know, get into all that argument. And I always say to them, I said, it's just as important to learn how to receive as it is to give. Well, it is too.
0: It and a really lot is. of people are not good receivers. They are not. It's in a book. A pastor wrote a book on something about living with excellence, and part of it is you have to be a good receiver. Yes. Yeah, if hard. somebody it's wants hard. to give, I know you're trying to be generous by not letting them, but if you're, if it fulfills you to give. Me not receiving it blocks you from getting your joy and fulfillment. Imagine Christmas, for those of you that celebrate Christmas, imagine you open up all your gifts and then giving it back to your parents. (laughs) I mean, it would hurt their feelings. Yes. They want you to go, thank you, Mom. you got to take that ugly sweater that your aunt made or the (laughs) fruitcake and be like, this is incredible. Thank you. you got to be a good receiver. (laughs) All right. Product
1: knowledge,
0: how important is that in sales? I think it, I think it's very important. Here's what I do know, though. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know the person that knows everything.
1: Because in your world, we're going to bring in an expert.
0: You're one phone, you you have, have to be one phone call away from the right answer, and you have to be willing to tell somebody, look, I'm 99% sure on this, but I don't want to give you an answer until I'm 100%. Let me make one phone call and get back to you. Most people are afraid that if they don't have all the answers and they're not an expert, mm-hmm. that they're going to lose the person's confidence in them, and that stop. that's actually the worst part is trying to wing it and make something up to get through the moment and that person finding out later that you were winging it. Right. right. I'd rather just tell someone, you know, Yeah, I'm I- not going to give you the answer till I know 100 you- percent. Let me make a phone call? Or you, get someone on who's the expert.
1: Do you think though it helps people sell more, sell better, sell more effectively if they have more product? Absolutely. I mean, look,
0: I you gotta know what you're talking about. You yeah. gotta. Sometimes you know you only have a fir- one chance to make your first impression. Right. I think in a lot of sales though, you got someone's attention in today's busy world. You got their attention for a minute. You better say the right thing, or say something good, or be able to handle at least that initial objection someone might have. Right. And if someone says, well, I don't think I can have that, or I don't think I can do that, or would this even work for me? If you don't have that answer at that one moment, you lose your opportunity. Even if you are going to go and get back to them an hour later, a month later, a week later, sometimes they've moved on. You've got that one moment. So I do think, you said product expert. I would say you need to have enough expertise to know your value proposition, why someone should be your client, why someone should do business with you, why someone should buy your product, know your competition enough to when they bring up the one objection, like, well, what what do you think of these guys over here? You better have your answer as to why you're better because you might not get that chance tomorrow. So I do think you need to have that much knowledge and expertise. But if you don't have it all... What I found with salespeople is they're afraid that if they don't have it all, they don't want to start. Yes. That's Until it's a big excuse, by the way, especially in my business. Right. Right. Well, once I know everything about everything, then I'm going to start selling. Right. Well, you're never starting to sell then. Right. The reality is sometimes there's on the job training and you're going to learn as you go. And guess what? You're probably going to make a few mistakes along the way. Don't be afraid to make a mistake either. All I would say is get out there and get the ball rolling. Because the hardest part is the starting part.
1: Right. Like Seth says, just ship it, right? Just, just do it, get it out, and then you'll get it better next time you ship it,
0: right? I try to teach my people, if you're going to make a call, if that's the type of business you do and you're selling or doing something where you got to make a phone call, I say don't overthink it. Make a phone call, hit dial, hit that last <laughs> number, and figure it out when it's ringing. <laughs> because if you try to figure out your whole approach before you hit that last dial, you won't make the call.
1: So, are scripts a big deal?
0: I think it's good to practice your scripts and know the words of your business, but do that on your own time. So, when you're on the phone, it's in the back of your head. It doesn't sound like a script. But don't, yeah, be yourself. I mean, I never could do the scripts. I know. Uh. I I learned the scripts very well for objection handling, Mm -hmm. but I also put my own personality into it. Your own personality comes back into something when you're comfortable with the material. Mm. And you're speaking about something that you're certain of. Mm-hmm. So I think if you learn some of that stuff, that's great. But do enough of it to where your natural self comes back in. And that's in the back. The wiser you are in business or sales, the less you say. You know, they say, they say wisdom speaks, knowledge speaks while wisdom listens. Yeah. The best salespeople ask a couple questions and shut up and listen. The newbies are the people that are real smart. They they try to tell everyone all they know and they never get to know their customer and know if the person even wants or is looking for what they're offering. So, so I, th- I think the wisdom, the people with the wisdom say a lot less than the people with the knowledge.
1: So, are you, do you, you've got somebody there and you're talking to them and do you try to convince them to go with a product that you think is the right way, or do you just try to sell them the product that they're willing to buy?
0: Well, I think there's a little bit of both, but you know you need to know when to stop pushing. You know, it depends on what it is they're buying. To if they're buying something that that isn't going to hurt them either way, but you think this is better for them, it's not going to hurt them either way. And would they're you determined- bring it up? Hey, I know you want to do this, but. But I think you ought to do this. I just want to go on a record for saying, I believe this is the one that's better for you. Yeah. And just, But if that's the one you want, I'll get it for you. Yeah. As long as it's not going to hurt them. You know what I mean? Right. It's not like a doctor saying, well, hey, you want on, this medicine. But, yeah, right. but if it's going to hurt them, I'm going to say, I'm not going to do that. That's right. If that's really what and I you think want. everyone would agree. No one's yeah. going to, well, some people probably would, but. We're not gonna hurt somebody.
1: Well, like we run into our business, you know. There's some I remember one guy tell me, he said, I don't know why anybody wouldn't get anything but a seven one arm. Nobody ever stays in the house. National average less than seven years. Seven one arm is the greatest thing. And I don't know if you know, there's a lot of truth to that, right? Sure. But but you know, he's gonna tell you that if you're not gonna do a seven one arm, you're stupid and he doesn't really wanna do business with you. And my theory is is if you want a thirty year fix, I'm gonna sell you a thirty-year fix. You want a 15-year fix? I'm going to sell you a 15-year fix. Every now and then, it's got to be a pretty strong proposition for me to say, you know, I know you really want to go this way, but I want you to consider this. This is something I want you to think about. But once I lay it out, then i let whatever they decide, I'm going to sell it to them because my theory is it's their house and their money, not mine. And we all have our own different ideas about what, what we need to do, right? That's right.
0: So I think you just you go that course as long as it's not going to hurt them. If it's a difference of opinion, that's one thing. If it's a difference of fact, then it's yeah, another.
1: Good point. So, Jeff, thank you for being here on the on the Beach Talk podcast. I hope y'all enjoyed it, and um, we're just excited to have my buddy Jeff here. So, y'all share this with all your friends, and uh, especially if you know somebody that's in sales and our small business or an entrepreneur, I think they'll get a lot out of what Jeff said today. So, thank you.